High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. We'll go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to try to do this in one night, and we will see how it goes. Because uh, I'm not ministering on a Wednesday again for a little bit. Uh, I, don't think until, I think, don't think until October. But so I'm going to try to get through as much of this as I can. But tonight I want to minister a message entitled, Rooted. Um, we all want to grow. How many of you want to grow spiritually? Right? Y'all... All of y'all should definitely be raising your hands. You know why I say that? Because you are here on Wednesday night. The people who show up on Wednesday night aren't the casual churchgoers. The people who show up on Wednesday night are the people who want to grow spiritually. They're the people who want to push a little bit deeper. They're the people who want a little bit more than the people who show up once every other week on Sunday morning and don't show up to a group and don't come on Wednesday nights. We love those people. Don't get me wrong. But the people who really want to grow are the people who show up on nights like tonight. They're the people who get connected in a group and begin to form relationships. That's the people who want to grow. But the only way to grow strong is to grow deep. Okay? The only way to grow strong is to grow deep. And you will never have anything strong that is planted shallowly. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. I want to read that verse again. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay? Everything in life and in the kingdom goes back to this point that is trying to be established here. And what is trying to be communicated is this, that at the end of the day, we have to be built and rooted in Jesus, everything goes back to a relationship and being rooted in him. Now, I know some of you right now are going, duh, of course, thanks for the revelation. But it amazes me how often we will say yes, but our activity says we don't understand that. Because a lot of times our activity says we are not rooted in and with Christ, but we are rooted in and with experience more so than with who he is. More than with a revelation of who he is. It is relationship that is eternal. And relationships take time. Relationships are not built overnight, 
And relationships are not maintained without intentionality. Right? How many married people we have in the room? Right? Most of you did not get married after you first introduced yourself to your spouse. Right? Maybe some of y'all did. But most of you in this room, there was a process once you met or once someone introduced you or whatever happened for you to build relationship over time, right? And then once you came into covenant together and got married, guess what? For most of you, it started over a whole new process of building relationship and growing together. Because it's one thing to date somebody and it's another thing to be married to somebody, right? It's one thing to see somebody after they've been able to make themselves presentable. <laughs> Except for my wife. She looks beautiful all the time. That's how it's done, boys. And it's another thing entirely, right? To see them not just at their high moments, but also with their low moments. The relationship looks different. And you have to be intentional to maintain that relationship over time. If there's one thing, this isn't about marriage, but if there's one thing that, that I, um, and it really is interesting as a kind of real transparently, it's really interesting because even though Pastor Miranda and I have been, Miranda and I have been married now for over 17 years, it's really interesting. Sometimes even as a pastor, only, I say only, having only been married for 17 years, you kind of feel like, who am I to be telling anybody about marriage? Like we've only been married 17 years, but in the grand scheme of things, 17 years is nothing like to, it's not nothing, especially in today's world, right? And uh, if there's one thing that, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, I'm real sad. If there's one thing that, that I tell couples all the time, especially couples who are, who are newly married, who are young, I say, listen, one of the biggest things you are going to have to do over the course of time is make sure that you maintain intentional about communicating and relationship with each other. You have to be intentional in your communication and you have to be intentional in making sure you spend time together. And I don't just mean you're in the same place at the same time, but I mean that you are invested in each other, right? Not that you're just in the room together, but you are present together. Y'all know what I mean? Especially in today's world. Baby, give me my phone real quick, if you will, please. Because you know what we do in today's world? We will sit at the dinner table with these Am I getting in your business too much? And we're together, but we are not present with one another. Hmm? We might be sitting across from each other, but we do not have each other's attention. And you have to be intentional about time and about being together. And guess what? It is no different in your relationship with Jesus. The longer you are saved, the more intentional you must become about making sure that you are spending time with him and you are being present with him because it is very easy to get into some monotony where it's like, well, I go to church. Well, I've read the Bible. Well, I know who God is. Well, good for you. But are you spending time with him? Right? Just because you've been saved, let me back up. 
The way that your marriage stays healthy over time is by being together and being present with one another and spending time together. Guess how your relationship with Jesus stays healthy over time? You spend time with him. You are present with him. You are rooted in him. Not just I said I do one day. You have to be rooted in him. This is what Paul's letter is saying. The higher you want to go, the deeper you need to grow. Show me someone who isn't growing up in the Lord, and I'll show you someone who isn't growing deep in the Lord. Y'all with me? Now, I want to talk about wisdom and knowledge. As much as I believe in experience, y'all want to know what I mean, experience, where we feel God, Right? where we get the chill bumps during worship, where we feel something and we weep and cry and we get slain in the spirit or whatever it is for you, right? I believe in all of that, by the way, okay? Amen? I believe in all that. I say yes and amen. All that kind of stuff, I am all about it. But as much as I believe in that, I also believe in wisdom and knowledge. And you can have both you don't have to pick. I can either have experience or I can have wisdom and knowledge. I can either experience God or I can have wisdom and knowledge about God. You don't have to pick. You can have both. As a matter of fact, experiencing him should make you grow in wisdom and knowledge. And wisdom and knowledge should make you grow in experience. They should complement one another. But if you are experience-driven solely, you will be shallow and immature. And you will also be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and everything you hear. And you will never be rooted because you haven't grown knowledgeable and you haven't allowed wisdom to be produced in your life. People oftentimes cry out for breakthrough, but they don't live in breakthrough because they don't live in wisdom and knowledge. Are y'all with me this evening? God can give you breakthrough, but if we don't accompany that with wisdom, we end up in trouble. Wisdom is important. Proverbs chapter 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word fear means moral reverence. If you want to have wisdom, you have to have fear of God. Which, by the way, if there's one thing that I feel at times we are missing in the church today, it can be a holy fear and reverence of who God is. I don't mean that you walk around God's going to strike, worried God's going to strike you dead because you had a bad thought. Okay? That's not the fear of the Lord. But there should be a holy reverence that you have that you want to walk uprightly before him because of how holy he is. Y'all with me? Y'all tired tonight? Y'all are being quiet. If you ever want wisdom, you have to have the fear of the Lord. Why do you have that? Because you know who he is. You know how holy he is. You know how righteous he is. And people who don't fear God, who are not reverent, they don't know who he is. And if you don't know who he is, then you're not growing deep in him. Show me somebody who doesn't fear God, and I'll show you somebody who's not growing deep in him. Because when you're growing deep in him, there will be a holy reverence that you have for God and for who he is. And by the way, the more your fear of the Lord is, the more you will walk in holiness. The more you have a fear of the Lord, the further you will walk away from sin. And I don't mean because you're scared of what's going to happen if you sin. It's simply because you realize how holy God is and you want to be like him. So you're going to stay as far away from that as you can. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you will never grow in knowledge until you first grow in relationship. 
right? There are things I know about my wife. And you know why I know those things about my wife? Because we've grown in relationship. Not to get personal, overly personal. There's things I know about her that nobody else knows because there's intimacy. If you ever want to know things about God and who he is that the world doesn't know, you have to have an intimacy with him. You have to have relationship with him to build knowledge. And it's really interesting because there's a generation that's coming up, particularly um, um, Gen, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they are so relational. They want to be together all of the time. And I'm like, don't y'all ever get sick of each other. Do y'all ever just need a moment to breathe by yourselves? Like, y'all are constantly together. And they are, they are super relationally driven um, in just in, in, in their lives. But a lot of times they're not really driven by wisdom. And their, their relationships aren't growing wisdom. Well, I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a moment. If relationships in your life aren't growing you in wisdom, I'm not saying abandon those relationships, but you may need to get some additional relationships that help you grow in wisdom. Relationships should help you grow in wisdom. You should surround with people that are pulling you up, not pulling you down. By people that are calling you higher, not bringing you down lower. Y'all with me? Some of y'all are probably old enough to remember this, in, in 1980, uh, Johnny Lee released a song called Looking for Love. Y'all remember the song Looking for Love? Some of y'all too holy for that. Some of y'all too young for that. But in the chorus, there was a lot, there was the, the, the main hook of the song was looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? And uh, I, I think a lot of times we've been looking for growth in all the wrong places. Many have attempted to attach carnal things to spiritual growth. Man lives by these principles, hedonism, narcissism, and materialism. Hedonism, materialism, and narcissism. And a lot of times what we've done is we've looked at those and we've said those are signs of spiritual growth. We don't actually say that. We don't go hedonism or narcissism is a sign or materialism is a sign of spiritual growth. But that's what the Western world has done. We even look at people who have a lot of things and go, man, you must be doing something good for God. And that's not always the case, right? Which doesn't mean God doesn't want to bless you. Amen. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do something for you. But the purpose of your walk with God is not for you to accumulate stuff. The, the stuff of, of the, the pursuit of your, uh, uh, excuse me, the purpose of your pursuit with God is not just to make you happy. It's a hedonistic desire. The point of your pursuit of God is not even just about you. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we, I want y'all to hear the way I say this. I'm, I've got to be careful. So I don't confuse you. <clears throat> Salvation is obviously personal, but it is much more than personal, right? It is, God doesn't just save you for you. He saves you so you can be a blessing to somebody else. Your salvation is about more than just you. Your holiness is about more than just you. And by the way, it is a uniquely American idea that has made salvation so personal and not global. It really is. 
it is a uniquely American idea, and it is our, our, our sometimes, sometimes our, our, some of our greatest strengths as Americans can spiritually be some of our biggest weaknesses. Because we are very strong-willed, which can be good at times. We are very independent, which can be good at times, right? We are very freedom-based, which can be good at times. But a lot of times, those can also end up being our biggest spiritual weaknesses, because we can be incredibly strong-willed and we don't hear what God's trying to say to us because we're concentrating on what we want, right? We are very individualistic and I've said it time and time again, the church is always we over me. The church isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's about all of us, right? The kingdom is not individualistic. It's the kingdom. It's all of us. And you have a part to play, but you ain't it. Right? You have a part to play, but you are not the soloist. You are a part of a much bigger and broader picture that spans ages and time and continents. I think sometimes one of the, it's, it's really, I, I was, we were in New York. Uh, what year was that, babe? We were in New York City. 19? No, 21. We were in New York in, in 2021 and I walked into a, uh, I walked into a Catholic cathedral right across from 30 Rock. And I walked into this cathedral and I just wept like the entire time I was in this Catholic church. And the reason I wept is as I walked around, first of all, it was just, it was beautiful. But as I walked around this evening, it was probably nine or nine, 10 o'clock at night. And it was late at night and the place was packed. It wasn't a service going on or anything. It wasn't mass. It was just people in there. And what, the, what began to make me weep was as I was in there, there were people in the pews in different sections. And obviously New York's a big tourist city, very international city, all that. There's people in all these different pew sections and they're all singing songs. And none of the songs are in English and none of them are in the same language. And all over the room, it's just this symphony of different hymns and songs being sung from all these different languages. And I just sat there and cried like a baby. All right, tried not to let anybody see me because I was too cool for that. I was just a tourist doing the same thing. <laughs> but I sat and I cried. And the reason I cried is it really made me take into perspective. I think we all need to stop and do this for a second. How much bigger this is than just us, right? how much bigger it is than us. And if you want to grow deep, if you want to grow up, you gotta grow deep. One of the ways you grow deep is by less of me and more of him. I must decrease so he can increase. I must realize this isn't just about me and my destiny and my purpose and my this and my that, even though I believe God has all of that for you. But my pursuit is Jesus, not my destiny. I'm going to pursue him. And as I pursue him, I'm going to find all that stuff. But that's not my pursuit. My pursuit isn't blessing. My pursuit is the blesser, right? My pursuit isn't destiny. My pursuit is the destiny giver. My pursuit is not happiness. It's the one who gives joy. And whenever we really begin to grow deep, we will grow up. Y'all get anything out of this tonight? There's no shortcut to this, by the way. 
I'll talk about that in a minute. There's nothing wrong. I want to make sure I'm clear. There's nothing wrong with happiness, nothing wrong with things, nothing wrong with blessing, nothing wrong with a house, nothing wrong with a car, nothing wrong with destiny, nothing wrong with any of that. But that's all just like dessert, right? And I love, I, anybody love dessert? I love dessert. I love dessert. You give me anything chocolate and peanut butter and it is on, right? You give me anything that has raspberry in it and it is on. That's like my two things. You give me some sort of chocolate peanut butter cake or chocolate or a raspberry cheesecake and I am about to throw down. Like y'all just look away because I'm about to embarrass myself with how much I'm going to eat. Anybody else know what I'm talking about, right? Especially if it's like a holiday or something. You make those three trips to the dessert table at Christmas. Where are my people at? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't act, I don't know like that. Yes, y'all are, it's all right. As long as you just do it occasionally, it's okay, right? I don't eat a lot of dessert so that when I eat dessert, I'm gonna make it count, right? I love that stuff, but I can't live on that stuff. As a matter of fact, you, as a matter of fact, if that's what you try to make your diet consist of, you're going to be hurting real quick, right? It's going to be detrimental to your health if you try to make dessert your daily diet. And there's a lot of people that spiritually have tried to make dessert their daily diet, right? They like the dessert of blessing, but they don't like the vegetables of dying to self, <laughs> right? And growing up in my house, on the rare occasion we ate at home, <laughs> and if we had dessert, you made sure, like you had to eat your food before you got dessert. Know what I'm talking about? You want your dessert, you got to eat your vegetables. Sometimes I feel like God's going, y'all all want the dessert, but you're not willing to eat your vegetables. Right? You want your blessing, you want your destiny, you want your platform, you want your ministry, but you are not willing to eat the vegetables of take up your cross. You are not willing to eat the protein of forgiveness. You are not willing to eat the vegetables of becoming like Jesus. You just want all the benefits on the other side. And by the way, with Jesus, it's a covenant, not a friends with benefits situation. You don't get the good stuff without the commitment. Come on, somebody. And by the way, there's no shortcut to maturity. There's no shortcut to spiritual growth. There's no shortcut to growth. We want the microwave, but things with God... It's like it goes in the Dutch oven and simmers for four hours. Hmm? Some of my favorite, favorite, favorite cuts of meat, and I'm always using food analogies. I'm so sorry. I know it's torturous to y'all. But I love like a good braised short rib. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I love a braised short rib. And if you take a short rib and you try to cook it fast, it ain't good. It's tough, right? It's fatty because the fat doesn't render down. It's not good. But if you take that thing and you let it cook low and slow in a good simmer, it is so tender. It is so delicious. And we want things fast. But sometimes when you get things fast, they're not ready. And it is not pleasant when you get what you think you want too fast. It needs time 
to develop. It needs time to get where it needs to be. And by the way, this is one of the things we can get frustrated with sometimes. Slow growth is often not noticed. <clears throat> For those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like your kids are growing and then one day you just look at them and you go, my Lord, what happened? And they've been growing the whole time. It's just been incremental. So you haven't noticed it day over day. But then one day you go, whoa. I just was just the other day. I was, I was talking to him. Just the other night I said, I said, my Lord, son, you are towering over your mother. And you are just about looking eye to eye with me. And you're 14. And it's one of those things where like, it feels like just yesterday, he was like at my shoulder, right? And now he's staring at me in the eye, right? And it's not something where over the course of those days, I went, son, you look like you're about a millimeter taller today. You don't notice the slow growth, but then one day you go, whoa, something's changed. And in our own lives, oftentimes we don't notice when we're rooted the slow growth that God is doing, right? The development that is happening. And we can get frustrated because we feel like we're not growing, but you are. And sometimes, by the way, you need those people to say, man, I've, I've noticed such a change in you and what God's doing in your life. And you go, really? I've gotten taller? You know what I'm saying? I'm growing. And that can be so assuring. And by the way, let me say this. Whenever you see that in somebody, don't be shy or don't hold back to let them know. Because you don't know what that person is going through and how frustrated they may be feeling if they're not growing. And you noticing and saying something can mean the world. Y'all with me tonight? I promise you this. The deeper you go in relationship, the higher you go in growth. Where are you rooted? Are you rooted in the spectacular? Or are you rooted in Christ? <clears throat> Turn to Philippians 2. I didn't give Travis this scripture. I don't know if I was going to get to it. So he's freaking out right now because he doesn't have it for the screens. But that's okay. Y'all just turn your Bibles. Philippians 2. Don't worry, media people. Y'all don't have this. Philippians 2. Verse 14 says this. Do all things without complaining and disputing. We could just stop there and preach for the rest of the night. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me. 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things of which are of, G of Christ Jesus. But you know, talking about Timothy, his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served, me, uh, served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So once again, God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow. 
when we reach that place where we feel like we're not growing, we're no longer really rooted and growing deeper in Christ. And if we are following him, we will continually grow. Let me put it this way. I'm not the same as I was five years ago. My level of revelation is different. My understanding of some things is different. I have grown. And by the way, I will not be the same person five years from now as I am today. Now, core principles, core values, same, congruent. But God is adding to, and God is shaping, and God is changing. And anybody who is the same as they were five years ago, if you think exactly like you did five years ago, you need to grow. You all got real quiet when I said that. You need to grow, right? I'm not saying you completely abandon who you are, but you allow God to continue to add to you. Listen, if you aren't in his image yet, and by the way, y'all ain't, you should still be growing. And I'm not either. We should still be growing. Growing things change. Things that are alive grow and change. We are not the same. I can listen back to some things that I preached 10 years ago. I don't really agree with that anymore. That bothers some of you. That's all right. If you talked enough as I do publicly, you would do the same thing. Uh, I, th I view that a little different. I may have been a little harsh there. That may not have communicated exactly what I wanted it to communicate. That's okay. That's part of growth. No one's perfect. We're all changing. We're all going from glory to glory, faith to faith. And if you feel you've reached the zenith of growth, you've revealed how much growing you actually need to do. And Paul encourages the church here at Philippi to continue to work out their salvation with fear and with trembling. He's telling them to continue to grow, to continue to progress. He's telling them to continue to become what God wants them to be. And real quickly tonight, I want to give you four things God wants us to become. He wants us to become more of. And they're all right here in the middle of this, in the front end of this passage. First of all, Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing. So one thing I believe he's telling us there is we need to become more peaceful. In other words, don't be fussing and fighting. Don't be griping and complaining against God or against each other. Griping, complaining, and brawling will get you nowhere. It will get you nowhere. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. And by the way, this starts in our homes. As Christians, our homes should be places of peace. It's real quiet again. You aren't intended to be one who claims growth and maturity and you can't get along with your spouse. Don't tell me how spiritually mature you are and how much you love Jesus if you can't be kind to the person you're married to. Don't tell me how you've been growing so much and y'all can't ever get along with each other. Now, I'm going to give the balance here, okay? So y'all hear me out. We are all human beings, right? And by the way, in marriages, you will have disagreements. But when you have those disagreements, what is your aim? Let me give you a little marriage talk. What is your aim when you have a disagreement? Is your aim to be right and for them to see how right you are and how wrong they are? Yeah. 
Or is your aim to find peace and reconciliation? Because your goal in any disagreement should always be peace and reconciliation, not to prove how right you are. If you are out to prove how right you are, you need pride removed from your life. You're going to have disagreements if you're married, right? If you have not had disagreements and if you are not having disagreements, somebody is stuffing things and not being honest and forthcoming. And by the way, when I say disagreements, I don't mean you have to yell and scream at each other. You don't have to do that. But you can disagree. And by the way, you can disagree in a peaceful way. Can I say this? Y'all, this may sound counterintuitive, but you can argue in a peaceful way. It's all in how you do it. I'll talk about that maybe some other time. God intends us to have peace at home. He intends us to have peace at our churches. Don't tell me how you're growing in Christ that you're one who's a brawler with others in church. Don't tell me how deep you're growing in your holiness whenever you're pointing the finger at other people and their shortcomings while ignoring your own. You won't be blessed if that's you. Why should we become more peaceful? Because everything we do is shining something to the world. What are you shining? And we need to seek to be people of peace. Amen. The next thing is more faithful. He said in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. In a world that pronounces death on a daily basis, we must hold fast, not just to the word, but to the word of life. We must, as we grow, become more faithful to the word. And the word is always releasing life. I talked to y'all about this at one point. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. That word is the Greek word, Greek word what? It's, it's the logos, right? And oftentimes when we talk about the logos, we oftentimes talk about scripture, right? And there's some truth to that. But in John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word, what's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the logos. So when we're becoming more faithful to the word, we're becoming more faithful to Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't speak it, then we shouldn't speak it. And Jesus is not out proclaiming death and destruction over people. Jesus is out proclaiming life, destiny, and freedom over people. Jesus is the one who picks the woman caught in adultery up out of the dirt. Jesus is the one, right? That when, Peter's, when, when, when Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, that Jesus looks at Peter and says, put away your sword and heals the ear of Malchus. Jesus is always relief, releasing life and he is releasing peace in the midst of situations that are going on in the world. Being faithful to the word means our lives reflect the word Jesus more and the flesh less. This will result in you being more committed to the kingdom, to each other, to the church, to our families, and to our destiny. You have to be faithful. And you have to have faithfulness. Because in the world, 
We are constantly tested in our faith. And the only way to pass the test is to be faithful, is to be full of faith. So become more faithful. Also in verse 16, holding fast to the word of the life so that I may rejoice. The next thing is this, more joyful. Faithfulness leads to joyfulness. People who live in maturity realize that the Christian life is not drudgery. But there is joy in being a believer. The psalmist said in Psalm 116, you fill me with joy in your presence. When you come to church, if you leave depressed, you're doing it wrong. When you come to church, if you leave more sad than whenever you walked in, you're doing it wrong. You're not encountering Jesus, you're just getting in your feels. And one reason we encounter Jesus is to get out of our feels and get into what he wants to fill us with. Right? You realize your emotions lie to you? I said that again. You realize your emotions lie to you? Your emotions will tell you things aren't that things are true that are not. And here, here the way I'm, I've got to be careful with this, but I think sometimes one of the worst things we do is, is try to overly validate people's emotions, right? It's real quiet again. One of the worst things we do sometimes is try to overvalidate people's emotions. Well, and there is some truth in hearing people and hearing where they're at, but just because somebody feels like they feel a way doesn't mean that they need to feel that way. We need to pull people out of the way they feel, not pacify them in the way they feel. We need to equip them with the word and what God says rather than what they feel, right? All the time, your emotions will lie to you. How many of you ever had your emotions say your spouse doesn't care about you? And how many of you later found out your spouse very much cared about you, right? Was your emotion real? Of course it was real, but it wasn't the truth. Just because something is real doesn't mean it's the truth. Just because you really feel something doesn't mean it's the truth. Hmm? Just because you really feel a certain way doesn't mean that that's the, the truth, right? And you need to realize that you're created to be joyful, not walk around heavy all the time. And one of the biggest things that's going to make you more joyful is realizing who God is and realizing this. He's not angry. He's not mad. And God's not bitter. And moreover, God doesn't want his followers to live in that manner either. God doesn't want us to be angry. He doesn't want us to be mad. He doesn't want us to be bitter at him or at other people. And if, if there's one thing, and what we've called LRM, if, there, if there's one thing, there's one thing oftentimes that I wish people would get from it. Like if you don't get anything else, if you don't get anything else at all, the biggest thing to me is people believing rightly about God and about other people. That's the biggest thing. If we can get that right, we can, a lot of the other things are gonna take care of themselves. If you just think rightly about God and about other people, it's gonna fix so many of your problems. And if you realize God is an, an angry old man in the sky ready to lightning bolt you, it's gonna fix so many problems. If you realize everybody in the world isn't against you and out to get you, it's gonna fix so many problems. If you realize that your spouse isn't the source of all of your problems, it's gonna fix so many of your issues. 
If you realize a new job, a new career, a new this, a new that is gonna, isn't going to fix all your problems, it'll make all the difference in the world. Problem with that is you've got to go with you. I've read people before that they, they, like, they have this idea that as they become more mature in God, they become less joyful. Right? They become more serious as they get more mature. Right? I, I used to really rejoice in the presence of God, but I've just grown to a place of maturity now where I don't need that. Shut up. Right? Just stop. You're just trying to make an excuse for your own apathy and laziness and calling it maturity. That's not maturity. The more mature you get, the more joyful you should get about the things of God. The more joy should be in your life. People want what joyful people have. If our joy is rooted in maturity in Christ, it points others to that point and that path of maturation as well. The last thing, and I'm going to be done, I promise. The last thing is it's more hopeful. There's this overt sense of hope in what Paul writes. This is some of the last things that Paul is ever going to write because he's about to get killed. He even talks about his life being his life being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's about to be killed, and yet everything he's writing has this overt sense of hope to it. Right? Paul is so hopeful and expectant in what he's writing. In the middle of everything Paul had endured and was enduring, he didn't have any sort of negative perspective on anything. And if anyone could have been negative, Paul could have been negative. He's writing this letter in prison under the prospect of death. And there's this overt sense of hope in everything he says. And Paul even says, I hope to see you all soon. He's not going to, but he hopes to see them all soon. There's this hope in Paul. Can I say this? Christians weren't called to live as the eternal pessimist in the world. And over the last season, I have found there are so many Christians that can tell you everything that's wrong with culture and society and the world and problems and this and that and the other. And I just don't think that's what we're called to be. I believe that we should be hopeful in the world. Y'all are, some of y'all are struggling with that. I don't know, pastor. It's all right. If you want to be a negative Nancy, you go for it. If you're named Nancy, don't take offense to that. <laughs> but I'm going to live hopeful in the world. I believe in a greater tomorrow for my children. I believe in a greater tomorrow for what God's going to do. I don't believe the best the world has seen is behind us. I believe the best is still yet to come. I believe God has incredible things in store. And you know what? Whenever you live that way, the small stuff doesn't bother you all that much. Whenever you get hopeful, you don't sweat the small stuff. I was actually, it's kind of funny. I, 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 last night, some of you may have seen my post. I went last night, we were invited to go do the opening invocation uh, for the Bay County Commissioner's budget meeting. And when I walked in, I met the secretary of the board and I introduced myself and she said, this is kind of the rundown. This is what you're going to do. And she goes, you probably want to leave right after you pray because it's going to be a rough one tonight. And I said, oh, no. I said, so you're telling me I need to leave? And she's like, you probably want to go because it's probably going to be ugly. 
And I sat down on the front row, kind of in my seat, and I started listening to people converse around me. Nobody was with me. It was just me by myself, so I wasn't talking to anybody. And a lot of times if I'm sitting by myself, I find myself just, I'm an observant person just generally. So I'm hearing all these conversations around me. And there was so much pessimism in those people who were all talking about how they were about to get up and let everybody know what they thought about how bad everything was, how all the decisions were wrong. And I don't even know what the decisions were. Maybe they're doing everything wrong. I have no idea. But my point is this. Whenever I was sitting there, I thought, man, these people sound like some church people sometimes. <laughs> Not here. Right? But it was like they had nothing good that they could find. Everything was negative. Everything was bad. Everything was going the wrong way. And I'm like, man, I do not want to be like these people. Where everything I say is about how terrible everything is and how the world's just horrible and everything's bad and yada, yada. There are bad things in the world. Don't misunderstand me. And by the way, it doesn't make you prophetic to recognize those things because anyone with two eyes can find all the things that are wrong. Makes you much more prophetic to find the good and call that out. In the midst of difficulty, it doesn't take a prophetic person to go, this is bad. God doesn't like this. Well, cool. I didn't need to know that. That's obvious. But what is God saying of hope? What is God saying good today? That's what we're called to be. We're not called to live as the eternal pessimist in the world. And I want to encourage you, instead of seeing darkness everywhere, and this is what mature people do, instead of seeing darkness everywhere, maturity sees it as an opportunity for the light to shine brighter. Whenever you see a lot of dark, when you see things going the wrong way, when you see the enemy doing things, what prophetic people do, what mature people do is they go, what a great opportunity for God to show up and move. What a great opportunity for the light to shine and disperse darkness. I'm going to close with this story, for real. Come on, Steve. Uh, Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England during the darkest hours of World War II. And uh, after the war was won, Churchill was asked by a reporter this really interesting question. And they asked him, they said, what was... England's greatest weapon against Hitler's Nazi regime. And a lot of things could have been answered, right? A lot of things you could have answered would have been some sort of artillery or a plane or a gun or a tank or soldiers or whatever. And Churchill did not pause or even ponder his response. He immediately answered, it was what England's greatest weapon has always been, hope. It was what England's greatest weapon has always been, hope. What if we began to war with hope instead of pessimism? What if we began to use the weapon of hope rather than the weapon of dread and doubt? How much more of an impact for the kingdom could we make? And how much more could we push back the kingdoms of darkness if we fought with hope instead of fighting from pessimism and frustration? You will never war well from frustration, but you war, will war well from hope. 
say it again. You will never war well from pessimism and frustration, but you will always war well from hope. We're going to grow in these things. We're going to be rooted in Jesus, and we're going to allow it to make us more peaceful, more faithful, more joyful, and more hopeful, and we're going to see great, powerful, mighty things empty feet. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.